0: and load. This is Steve Dace. The
1: Steve Dace Show.
2: And greetings. Happy Friday. Welcome to the Blaze Radio, TV, and podcast. I am Steve Dace. want to apologize for having to step out for a family situation at the last minute yesterday, but uh, thank you uh, to uh, a gracious management here as well as a very capable team. Uh, that was able to step in uh, in my place at the very last minute. And they're here joining me right now. Todd and Aaron are here with me. And we have uh, the queen of cynicism uh, is with us here for the first hour as well. Our good friend, New York talk show host, Shannon Joy, because it is a Dace Group Friday. We'll get to that here in a moment. 888 900 93 is the number. 888 900 93 Steve at stevedace.com is the email address. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Steve Day Show. It's a typical Friday. We'll get to your feedback a little bit later on. We'll have a truth bomb today as well. But it's time, first and foremost, for the Day's Group. Your weekly look at the week that was begins with issue one. The shutdown showdown goes on.
1: And here we go, folks. If you're not on Twitter and or monitoring politics actively, nobody could blame you for not knowing that the government has been shut down. I'm sorry. Shut down. But that hasn't stopped a major debate from taking place, namely over a
3: wall on the southern border. America proudly welcomes millions of lawful immigrants who enrich our society and contribute to our nation. But all Americans are hurt by uncontrolled, illegal migration. Every week, 300 of our citizens are killed by heroin alone, 90% of which floods across from our southern border. Finally, as part of an overall approach to border security, law enforcement professionals have requested $5.7 billion for a physical barrier. At the request of Democrats, it will be a steel barrier rather than a concrete wall. This barrier is absolutely critical to border security. Some have suggested a barrier is immoral. Then why do wealthy politicians build walls, fences, and gates around their homes? They don't build walls because they hate the people on the outside, but because they love the people on the inside.
1: The Democrats' go-to comeback seems to always be something like this.
0: A wall is an immorality. It's not who we are as a nation. And this is not a wall between Mexico and the United States that the president is creating here. It's a wall between reality and his constituents.
1: Other than that, not a whole lot has happened regarding the government shutdown, just a whole lot of D.C. political theater so far.
2: So let's get to who won the battle of D.C. political theater this week. Todd, I'll start with you.
4: Well, first, two quick points. Aaron, your sweater game, strong. (laughs) Secondly, oh, Shannon, I... When Steve called her the queen of cynicism, the way, the smile on your face, I, he could have called you, like, the, the second coming of Helen of Troy, and I don't think that would have pleased you as much as being called the queen of cynicism. So, uh, that was awesome. Listen, um, who won? it? If you just do it on points, like we're just talking about sports or something like that in a way that doesn't really matter existentially. So why not? Because that's probably what's happening. I'll give the nod uh, to uh, Trump and the Republicans. Trump looked like a grown-up. You have Pelosi. You have um, Jim Acosta and that self-owning parody there. So on that level, I will give it to Trump and the Republican. But in a way that existentially actually matters, in a way that, as we talked about before Trump's speech, you know, will he actually feel fire in the belly on this is he just going through the motions checking a box does he care is he willing to take that win and double down on it and I, I i have no idea so in a way that really matters i can't even begin to say anymore uh but on points objectively speaking the game the show i i think it's trump and the republicans i, I agree with everything you said but one thing okay i don't think
2: it's trump and the republicans Uh, I don't think the Republicans have any role, any say. I think they are a bit player in this entire – uh, whether it, whether it's an whether you view it as an existential skirmish or a kabuki theater, the Republican Party uh, is a bit player in this, and that and, and it needs to continue to be because that's probably the only chance Trump has to come out of this with any semblance of a win at all is to make the Republican Party an irrelevant factor uh, in this I, back and forth. I
4: accept that alteration with zero quibble. Okay, Shannon.
5: I think if I were to identify a winner, if you're looking at the political game, the WWE wrestling match, Donald Trump uh, effectively in terms of optics and delivery is the clear winner. I think he laid out the problem in the crisis on the border very effectively. My issue is with his solution. I don't see five billion as uh, a serious proposal. I, it, it to me indicates that he's not serious about actually securing the border. Also, the expansion of uh, the the ports of entry is bizarre to me. I don't, I'm not sure why they would include expanding ports of entry into a bill that was or into uh, you know policy that was designed to shut down. The border. I think the largest, uh, but in a larger sense, the proponents of mass amnesty, Gang of Eight, Lindsey Graham-style amnesty, are the clear winners here because it looks as if nothing's going to happen unless they get a compromise deal, and that will include a massive amnesty, which Daniel Horowitz laid out pretty astutely in a piece that he released in Conservative Review yesterday. I can't get beyond the thing about this for me. And you know that I I tend to believe that most of this is theater. It is fake. This is a fake fight. Donald Trump, the Republicans and the Democrats are working together behind the scenes to create this this uh, this fake fight for Americans to consume while pursuing their predetermined agenda, which really is this amnesty agenda. What I can't get over, you know, this crisis, here you have Donald Trump talking about declaring a national emergency in order to get this $5 billion wall border built. And the my question to all of them is, where were you six months ago? Where were you 12 months ago? Where were you 24 months ago when all of this rhetoric, this entire show would have been incredibly effective in terms of moving conservatives and Republicans to the phone lines, to Twitter, to uh, you know emailing their re- representatives, Donald Trump, Th- this is this is never going to work because at this point Democrats control the purse strings, and so the timing of this to me is really, really interesting. That they waited until the first week in January when the Democrats took control of the House in order for the first time. In his presidency to actually do the things that we know would have been effective, threatening the veto, shutting down the government, um, rallying the conservative base. All of it is really for nothing because the Democrats are not going to cave unless there's a mass amnesty. We're not going to see uh, you know, any ter- uh, sort of uh, solution, I think, to this problem.
2: Shannon, what do you think the percentages Democrats would allocate one dollar to the building of a wall?
5: I think if if the amnesty deal were good enough that they would do it in a second and they would justify that to their constituents. I think they would do it.
2: Okay, because I promise you it's 100% higher than it was when the Republicans were in charge. Uh, Now, listen, I don't think they're as sophisticated enough to come to my conclusion. I agree that most likely your entry level cynicism of this is all political opportunism. And and why didn't Rush Limbaugh at all speak up to pressure the Republicans when they were in power to do something? I agree that that's that is exactly what's happening. I agree. But I also believe this. Um, The one constant through all the years, Ray, is the Republican donor class. They were never going to secure the border. They don't want to secure the border. And as much as Mitch McConnell at all hate, are afraid of Trump, his base, and his Twitter account, one day Trump will be gone. And, and then and their donor class will remain. Their donor class is why they didn't secure the border before Donald Trump. It's why they didn't secure the border when they were in power with Donald Trump. And it's why I said just a few minutes ago, the likelihood Trump will win this is increased the less of a role the Republican Party has because, and you can see it every time Lindsey Graham uh, speaks, the exchange of a mass amnesty in exchange for a wall. The Republican donor class, the Kochs, just put any name on it you want. Their issue, you know, this, is the big, this, this illustrates the big divide in the Republican Party. The number one issue for the Republican grassroots for the last 30 years uh, has been the life issue. The number one issue for the Republican donor class has been their pocketbooks. And in the last 10 years, beginning with the McCain-Kennedy bill and when George W. Bush went down this road at the end of his presidency, for the last 10 years, the, 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 the golden uh, uh, fleece of the donor class is, is creating an open border permanent surf class of cheap labor. And the Republican Party's never going to violate that. And, and that's why Trump actually has a better chance of coming to some agreement that will build a wall and create some sort of E-Verify system that has teeth to it with Democrats. And I don't think the odds are high. I just think they're a hell of a lot higher than they are with the Republicans. Okay? And so there's a. I think there's a deeper level of cynicism, cynicism here, Aaron, than even our beloved Shannon uh, will typically embrace.
1: Who do you think won the week? Um, well, clearly not me. I feel like I'm going to have to be looking for a new job. Steve at Steve Dace is where you can send your resumes. Um, no, the winner, the winner of the week is fake arguments, and at least they're better than just trolling each other all the time because, you know, it started out the week with uh, Nancy Pelosi saying walls are immoral, and, uh, you know, the whole Democratic talking point was walls are immoral, walls are immoral, and then Donald Trump made a pretty good case that walls are not immoral, not quite as... Um, not quite as articulate or maybe well-rounded or polished as we would like to have for an argument but at least it was an argument but it was a fake argument and I'll tell you why and I know this week and I told you guys this off air um I didn't I don't think I said it on the show at all uh, that the moment that I knew that there was no chance that a wall was going to be built because of this shutdown was when I saw Mitch McConnell shilling for border security on the Senate floor mm-hmm. because yeah. he never ah. fights for anything conservative yes. yep. when he knows that it's an actual possibility that he could win or that it could win, the issue could win. And that's why you see him out there shilling. It's exactly what we said was going to happen. Um, what's, his, what's his name? Uh, McCarthy was on, uh, on all over the place, you know, just... Um, shilling like you wouldn't believe. That's what it's going to be for the next at least two years with Republicans. They are going to fight like hell. And uh, for everything conservative, the conservative wet dream of uh, of of the future, they are going to fight like hell for that. And nothing is going to be get uh, get done because this is all part of the game. This is how they butter you up to vote for them again in 2020 so that you, they can shank you in the back again because they are not aligned with what we really believe is conservatism.
2: This reinforces everything I just said. See, when it came down to Trump and to Cruz, the Republican Party didn't want either one of those guys to win a nomination. But they made the gambit and went with Trump because they thought that in the end, uh, if if Cruz got one by being intellectually aligned with the base, then they were confident he would follow through on the crazy stuff he was saying and put them all in a terrible position. They hoped that Trump was soulless enough that once he got into office, they could co-opt him with sort of his own art of the deal language. And for the first couple of years, it's largely worked.
4: We did this show.
2: Yes, for the first couple of years, it has largely worked, okay? But now they're all caught with their pants down. And the reason why is because conservative media led by Russia at all, maybe it's two years too late for Shannon and all of our likings, but they did speak up before Christmas. And now the McConnells of the world are now like, they got they And so they that's why, again, I just said a few minutes ago, the less of a role the Republican Party plays, the more likely it is Trump will win this politically, because here's another reason why. Everybody that's not getting paid by the government right now in the partial shutdown, the vast majority of those constituencies are never voting for Republican, no matter who they nominate, no matter what Republicans in charge. Government workers, for example, are like an 80 percent Democrat voting uh, block. So there is no political incentive here. Trump has no political incentive. There's no group of aggrieved people not getting a check from the feds that are likely have any shot of voting for him anyway. The only pressure group that on Trump to cut a crap deal is in his own team, Javanka, huddling with huddling privately with Lindsey Graham, like what happened a couple days ago. The only way Trump can lose this is if he takes If he listens to pressure internally from a Republican Party that's scared to death that Trump's going to put him in a position now where they either have to, they have to out in the open, out in the open stab, not their base in the back, but in the heart. And put their base in a place where they even the base can't lie to themselves anymore that there's no point in being in this party or betray their donor class. That's the that's the Hobbes choice, lady or the tiger, for the Republican Party. They have a tr- they have attempted to avoid all these years is to never disclose to the GOP base how few of you there really are among us. And if Trump, the longer Trump stays on this. That, because here's the other thing, too, with the whole should Trump do a, emergency funding. You can't tell the country in a national address that this is a crisis and then have it end without shovels hitting dirt when it's over. That's why I believe it's pass-fail for Trump. And I also don't understand the debate of... um Conservatives are for a mass. You guys are a bunch of hypocrites for a mass intrusion of government authority. You were against it when Obama did it. Obama was issuing executive fiat's on all kinds of things that have no. The executive branch has no power over. Tell me what is what's more germane to the use of a federal government than the defense of our national sovereignty? This is not the same as uh, executive order race for the top taking over the government. Executive order Common Core taking over the education system. I don't now. You may, by the way, I'm not necessarily saying this is the best solution, but I don't understand this argument at all. Well, I saw this on Twitter today. Hey, if you're for Trump's uh, takeover of, the, uh, uh, of executive power on border funding, be okay with later when a Democrat does it on the Second Amendment. Well, first of all, they're not the same. One, we have a Second Amendment. Yeah, one, That would be a use of executive power to overcome the Constitution like we saw Obama try to do, number one. Number two, uh, those guys, the, the ones you want to use the executive power to take ex- the guns away, have guns. And they will likely fire back when you try. Okay, that's why they didn't try this. Okay, that's why they're trying to take your guns away because before we get to that point. So, I, again, I don't understand some of these arguments. Can you guys sift through these for me before we get I out totally of I totally
4: understand them. Um, there's a lot of people on the right going back to that bargain that they made with Donald Trump. Um, not comfortable at any. Line. They just hate him. That's it. This is about trying to distance yourself. I'm I, putting yourself in your gated community. I'm part of the smart set. Um, it, this is vanilla standard issue uh, GOP whateverism that they always do. I mean, it, it's it's the guts of your argument that you just got done making that's why they 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 do it they they increasingly are not us in so many ways the elitism is appalling aaron and i were talking off air before you came in steve today uh about another way they're always virtue signaling on twitter to each other that hey let's stay in line guys you know we're the upper crust this is how we do things our laughs are our own private laughs it's ridiculous shannon you get the last word quickly go
5: Yeah, I think that Rush Limbaugh gave us a hint as to what's going to go on here. You're talking about the conundrum that Trump was in. Uh, He can't lose this battle. It will uh, do much to damage his credibility with the base after making the address. And uh, the other day, Rush Limbaugh mentioned that there really isn't a win here. There isn't a fix. He thinks that President Trump is going to... Sign a continuing resolution to open the government and that we can't really expect this all to happen for another eight to nine months. So I think their play is going to be a slow play. They're going to walk this back. They will reopen the government. Um, I don't think, I think the goal was to get amnesty through, but I'm not sure that they're able, they're going to be any
2: solution, no matter what it is. If we, if shortly again, don't conflate Trump got 65 million votes in 2016. He's going to need more than that to win in 2020. I promise. The percentage of those people that will vote for him no matter what, everybody focuses too much on the Trump cult, Trump humpers, whatever term you want to use. They're not going to decide any elections anywhere, any more than the comment sections at Vox and Salon. All those votes are already accounted. I promise you, whether by hook or by crook, regardless of what the outcome is, an emergency, whatever it is, if shovel ain't hitting dirt, shortly thereafter, not eight, nine months, like eight, nine minutes, shortly thereafter— Read, he is the next read-my-lips president. I promise.
5: I'm not saying it's going to work. Yeah, I'm not saying that's going to work. I'm just saying I think that's the play that he's going to try to make.
2: Exit question, true or false? This is still going to be going on in a topic on next Friday's Roundtable, Todd. True. Shannon?
5: True.
2: Aaron? False. Issue two, America's political beliefs.
1: Gallup released their annual update on their survey for America's political leanings. This year, it found 35% on average described themselves as conservative, while 35% as moderate and 26% as liberal. The percentage of Democrats identifying as liberal averaged 51% in 2018. It's up from 50% in 2017, and it makes the first time a majority of Democrats Have adopted this term following gradual increases since the 90s. The 73% of Republicans identifying as conservatives in 2018 matches the high point in the trend previously recorded in 2012. Most of independents have consistently described their overall political views as moderate. The remainder have been more likely to identify as conservative than liberal, although conservatives' edge with this group has been shrinking in recent years and is now just six points. It was 17 points at its widest in 2009.
2: First question, what about the Gallup annual survey of America's political beliefs stands out to you? Shannon, I'll start with you. Go ahead.
5: This is a, this was a difficult one for me. I read through the whole report on Gallup, and the, the difficulty here is that I'm not sure— at least for me personally, I'm not sure what it means to be a conservative anymore. And if there's a decline in the number of Americans who identify with uh, conservatism or that label, I think it's probably more associated with the fruit of the conservative movement that they have seen and witnessed over the past couple years. When you have the conservative Ted Cruz voting for a minibus bill that funds Planned Parenthood, Obamacare, DACA amnesty, it blows up the debt and the deficit, it doesn't do anything to address the border funding, it doesn't fund a border wall. Um, That calls into question what it means to be a conservative when you have the conservative Mike Lee single-handedly advocating and pushing through a massive jailbreak criminal justice bill that essentially gutted Ronald Reagan's uh, tough on crime criminal justice reform in the 80s, it makes people wonder, what does it mean to be a conservative? So uh, for me, it's more about the labeling than it is. I mean, what does that mean? So uh, in terms of the liberals, more people identifying as, um, you know, liberal, I think that, um, you know, this is a direct result of the social engineering and the indoctrination that you see in public schools, when you have millennials who are identifying as socialists and they are all primed and ready to accept that socialist agenda, it doesn't come out of a vacuum. Uh, this is one of the things that I've criticized the conservative movement and big talkers, that they are comfortable to criticize education if they're talking about college campuses or running a sizzle reel about how stupid millennials are. But they never address what is happening in American public schools, compulsory government age, uh, education agencies that are taking 50 million kids a year for seven days a week, uh, you know, seven hours a day, five days a week, 180 days a year, and they are absolutely... Uh, just in drenching them in social engineering, collectivism, globalism, hostility to the Christian tra- tradition, also um, radical sexual ideology. So, all of that means something and it creates a generation, I think, that is going to naturally knee jerk, um, move more liberal, more leftist, and uh, towards socialism.
1: Aaron? Yeah, I think actually the, the thing that stood out for me the most in this uh, survey, in this update to the survey, aside from the fact that, and, and we discussed this earlier in the week, aside from the fact that we don't know what conservatism is, just to add, put another shrimp on the barbie of what um, of what Shannon said, uh, we were talking about this before the show, Mike Lee, the aforementioned Mike Lee, uh, co-sponsoring a bill that would basically make it impossible for the government to ever, ever shut down again because... Is that conservatism now? Uh, we have no idea what conservatism is because conservatism, we're conserving government. We're conserving government. Yeah, because yeah, right. yeah. conservatism for now a generation, a generation and plus has not had a vehicle, has not had a sound vehicle to deliver and act upon its message. So that's one thing. Uh, aside from that, it is the independence, and I think this is confirming more and more. Although um, it, it, you know, there's, there's still this um, large amount of. Independents who identify as moderates, and we got to go after the moderate vote. Actually, what that's showing now, and this is continues to be the trend, is what you've been saying since like 2010 or 2011. Whereas there are no independents. Increasingly, there are no independents. Increasingly, and you've described as this, they used to be as, known. As they used to be known. Yeah. It's bone on bone, and you yep. see those um, those independents, those ideologically driven independents. Um, They are now increasing and trending upward, and so that is the thing that sticks out to me as well. And again, this goes back to what our friend Chris Pandolfo from Conservative Review said uh, uh, too, is that you don't go after the moderate voters, especially – when it's trending the way that it is, where there are increasingly less Republicans in total, but more ideologically de- driven uh, independents, you go conservative, you go to the right, and that just makes sense from a brand standpoint as well. Um, why get uh, again? I bring it up. Why get the bottom shelf when you could have you know the top shelf? Uh, fill in the blank. That's why they need. To, because all you're paying for, basically, is is the brand at that point. Why, um, why try to water down your message um, if you could actually win and win big if you go to the right? The only answer to that is that the people who are representing us in this party, in this p- pat- particular party, and this goes back to my original point, are not aligned with conservatism. And so, again conservatism has become undefined
2: so just to i want to make sure we clarify the point aaron was making the ranks of independence across the country are swelling swelling they're exploding everywhere so let's do some simple math ranks of independence are swelling and yet the and yet the the lead of of ideologically partisan independents that claim they're conservative compared to those who claim they are liberal is shrinking what does that mean it means a group of people on both flanks now have decided neither political party represents me. And and so what I mean is independence as they used to be known are not all moderate. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 40% of Democrats get 40% of the vote no matter what, Republicans get 40% of the vote, and there's this 20% of squishes in the middle that decide things. That paradigm's gone. Obama showed it was gone, period, out the window. It's changed. And so the ranks of independents are swelling. What's happening, though, is the independents are becoming more ideologically partisan. They are just less tribalistic in terms of their faith level in either political party. Todd, your thoughts?
4: Yet, uh, the, my main takeaway still after that, and that's true, is I simply uh, don't care. This is, do I feel pretty today polling? This is mood ring polling. We don't know what a gender is. So, why in the hell do any of these definitions matter? People moving to be independents, they don't like those parties. That doesn't mean they know what the hell's going on or what they want or what they mean or what they'll stand for. George Washington, uh, as a young man, the thing that made him famous in the French Indian War, getting shot at for the, uh, wow, there was something charming in the sound. You know, he was like, on the, when he was at the, the point, of having to get involved in the scrum, he he realized, "Hey, game on! Let's do this." Now, who who is that? Who is that within conservatism? It's almost nobody. So about these polls, I just don't care. All right, exit question: A year from now, when Gallup does
2: this survey in January of 2020, which of these um, which of these segments do you think is the most likely to increase? Todd, I don't care. What do you think?
4: You you nailed it. You well, That analysis, it's, it's going to be independence. Okay. If, is that one of the options I have? Other Kim, than- you know what?
2: I was going to narrow it down, but I decided to leave it open.
4: Because you you framed it better than so it's independence.
2: You're okay. right. Shannon, what do you think?
5: I'm with Todd, but I'll call it uh, politically non-binary. That's what I am.
1: Politically non <laughs> Nice. <laughs> Aaron? Um, because of what Todd said, I think the correct answer is it depends on who the Democrats nominate or are heading to nominate, I should say. Hmm. All right,
2: when we come back, uh, we're going to get into uh, more. uh, We did politics in this first half of the day's Group, more cultural uh, issues uh, in the next half, uh, including uh, the Oscars with an absolute shibboleth to the age in which we live. We'll get into that and more live and on demand here on The Blaze. Stay tuned. One of the organizations we're excited to partner with here in 2019 is called Back to Jerusalem. It's an organization that works with persecuted Christians in closed countries. They're based in communist China. And they believe the only thing that truly restores a nation or rescues it for the better, even more than a vibrant economy, even more than enlightened education or government aid, is hope. And that's the hope that you find in the Bible where we get our God-given rights articulated and it gives man hope for eternity as well. And this raw hope from the Bible has been transforming nations and founding nations like this one for centuries now. Unfortunately, that's why closed nations don't want to let the word of God in because they don't want to open up their people to hope. They want to maintain uh, oppression and control. Well, for the price of just a couple of fast food meals, you can help. Uh, to get the Bible into these closed countries. The folks at Back to Jerusalem have invented really the world's first, I guess we would call it a a pill-sized, for lack of a better description. It's an electronic Bible. You could even swallow it if you wanted to, and yet it contains the entire Bible. Back to Jerusalem is using this as a tool to reach all the nations that border between China and Jerusalem, including the nations that are the most aggressive Against the Gospel. You can join together. We want to send 10,000 of these special Bibles into some of the darkest parts of the world. North Korea, China, Somalia, and Iran, just to name a few. BlazeHelp.org is the website. BlazeHelp.org. If you want to partner with Back to Jerusalem or just give them a call at 844-305-0566. That's 844-305-0566. All right, let's get back to the Dace Group, our weekly look at the week that was. Let's get to Issue 3,
1: No Host. Kevin Hart was tapped to be the host of the Oscars this year. That was until some old tweets of his surfaced that were deemed by, like, three people on Twitter to be homophobic. He apologized and stepped away from his hosting role. Then he appeared on Ellen recently and discussed the matter. We're back with this year's Oscar host, Kevin Hart. Ellen vouched for Hart to be the host again. The Oscars re-offered the gig to Hart. And Kevin Hart said no. He appeared on Good Morning America this week to
0: explain why. If I didn't say that I addressed it way back then in 2008, 2009, then I would get it, but I know I did. Then I readdressed it again. Then I went on Ellen and did what I thought was addressing it.
3: Well, we're you surprised
0: that the backlash that Ellen received from it, it? shows me that there is no there is no there is no ending to it. If you keep feeding this energy, then it's going to grow. You're not getting no more of my energy from it. I'm not giving no more because it showed that it's endless. Mm -hmm. So I'm not shutting down the questions. I hear everything you're saying, but I want everybody to know I'm done with it. It's a choice that I personally made to say, I'm not addressing it anymore. And that's not from an angry place. It's just from a place of, it's never going to really end. I'm done with it. So if people choose to continue to let it grow, then do what you got to do.
2: First question. Is there a more fitting symbol? I mean, that's Michael Strahan there on Good Morning America who was applauding child drag queens right before Christmas. Questioning and grilling Kevin Hart for daring to say back in 2008 and 2009 that he wanted his boys to be a boy and his his daughters uh, to be girls. Okay. Is there a more fitting symbol for how this paganism on the left eats its own than the fact there will be no host for the Oscars for the first time in 30 years? Because apparently nobody is politically correct enough. I mean, I love, I love, see, I'm not for stooping to their level. I've made that point clear the last few years. I'm all for making them live by their own phony standard, though. I'm totally for that. All right. I'm, Do not be deceived. God will not be mocked. We will always reap what we sow. I'm all for the principle of, of sowing and reaping. So I loved it when I saw a bunch of righties and Breitbarties on Twitter digging in to the old tweets of the Amy Schumers and every potential hot comedian that could have replaced Kevin Hart. Sarah Silverman to find out all the gay slurs they had dropped, all the homophobic comments they had dropped. In other words, they preempted the Oscars. Any name the Oscars would have gone out to get. Was now by their own standard totally un- un- unacceptable. I'm all for that. I May mean, we be in? All right. So it, 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 this is to me the most symbolic shibboleth of the of of the pagans eating their own that I think we've seen
4: yet. Todd. And there was a prelude to this. Uh, it wasn't as well executed as most of his movies. But remember back when Clint Eastwood was on stage talking to the empty Obama chair. <laughs> yes. Well, here we are. And it's being hosted by an empty chair. And yes, it is perfect. And you can cue up all the laughs, and they are good ones, and we should be vicious with them. But it is perfect symbolism for a far more important sense. Progressivism, in the end, ultimately leaves you, whether you're talking about the Oscars or not, with no one and nothing that actually matters, that is actually real. And when it comes down to it, that is as close to a definition of hell. As you can find what it will be like, just that level of emptiness that on your own volition you chose, you banked on, and there it is. It, it leads to literally nothing. It's the
2: ultimate Dave Chappelle. You played yourself. Yeah. That's what they did. Shannon, your thoughts?
5: Well, I love using a little bit of Saul Alinsky against the left, and that was one of his core components in Rules for Radicals was to make your enemy play by their own rules. And so we saw that play out with with this Oscar situation. I just love that this has been turned on its head. And, and you know this guy um, is coming and articulating, well, quote unquote, conservative, he's articulating common sense, um, a, a rebuttal to the Me Too movement, the politically correct movement in such a wonderful way. And he's probably not even doing it on purpose. It's just straight from the heart and common sense. And so for me, I think this is this is a win. The Me Too movement has been a disaster. Political correctness has been a disaster um, simply because it just crushes discourse and debate and speech. And we even saw that- Which is things.
2: its intent.
5: Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's the purpose of it. So to see- to see this, when we had a situation right here in Rochester, it's making national news. Even Al Roker commented on it. But we have a a meteorologist. His name was Jeremy Chapel, and he inadvertently uttered a racial slur. It was kind of a, a mangled, you know, mess of words when he's trying to say Martin Luther King Jr. And uh, they immediately, the the uh, the corporate big wigs and the radically liberal mayor uh, immediately just jumped on him, destroyed his family, fired him immediately, wouldn't let him, wouldn't let him back on the air. This all happened about a week ago. And oh my gosh, the country and this community have rallied around him to such an extent, even here locally, that it gives me hope that you know what we might be able to push through this, and hopefully we can. Return to some sort of um, honest discourse, rather than this politically correct garbage we've seen over the past decade now.
1: Aaron, you get the last word. Yeah, this this is fun to see. And eventually, the Oscars are going to be um, similar to what Jesse Kelly said about uh, Twitter. They're just going to be I don't know two transvestites fighting about which Instagram uh, accounts are the best or send the best uh, you know uh, or Snapchat accounts send the best videos. That's what it's going to devolve to going down this path. But I'll say what I said yesterday as well. There's another part of this that we usually talk about when it comes to the courts and the courts are going to continue to be tyrannical and they're going to continue to over outstep their bounds and not stay in their lane until somebody just stands up to them and says no. Mm -hmm. And that's what we're seeing Kevin Hart do now. He's realizing there is no end to this. He said exactly that. He's saying no to the mob. That's what we need more of, I think, a lot more of from conservatism and a lot more of just from basically anybody. Like the meteorologist that Shannon just uh, talked about and sounds like the community is rallying around him and just saying no to the mob. Um, There are obviously times when people uh, like Steve King steps on rakes and deserves to be. uh, That's not the same type of thing. This is this is the targeted um, uh, the, the targeting of people just for the sake of targeting people and tearing them down for no good reason. And I I love hearing Kevin Hart just say, no, that's enough.
2: Exit question. If you
4: could choose someone to host the Oscars, who would it be, Todd? If I could choose someone to host the Oscars, oh my goodness, that's a lot of power because it would be so much fun. Um, I would go with... You know, right now, I'm going to give it props to him because he actually, he had a great tweet about it. Uh, Ricky Gervais just nailed it. And that guy's, you know, he's an atheist. He's a little, but, and I I could do better if I gave more thought to this, but he absolutely said this is, he called him what we've just called him. We're on the same page. There's some strange bedfellows, and he's one of them. Shannon?
5: Chip and Joanna Gaines, because I just love them. I think it. <laughs> Aaron?
1: I mix, Aaron? Uh, Satan and or Lord Nefarious. You guys didn't choose the most obvious
2: one, the most obvious troll? Guys, it's Donald Trump.
4: No, no, Could you imagine Trump hosting the Oscars? I can't believe he hasn't tweeted. Has he tweeted that yet? I don't think so.
2: Uh, Issue four, a new take on an old heresy.
1: Andy Stanley is the son of well-known TV radio evangelist Dr. Charles Stanley. He is also the pastor of one of the largest multi-campus megachurches in the world in Atlanta, Georgia. Yeah, you can see where this one is going. He recently wrote a post for the online magazine, Relevant, titled, Why do Christians want to post the Ten Commandments, not the Sermon on the Mount? Where he used sentences like, Hear me out. The Ten Commandments are from the Old Covenant. And he goes on to say, Participants in the New Covenant, that's Christians, are not required to obey any of the commandments found in the first part of the Bibles. Marcion? Marcion, is that you? Marcion, it is you. Murder away, you filthy animals.
2: So, for those that don't know, I mean, this is essentially the one of the original heresies uh, in the early church. Um, uh, maybe Arrhenius' is against heresies. One of the first apologetic works of the early church is an answer to Marcion, who essentially taught Jesus and the New Covenant were separate from the God of the Old Covenant and not tied to the the God of Israel uh, in any way. Uh, and this is just a rehashing. Of this Now, Jesus, of course, himself said, why do you call me Lord if you do not do what I say? Not a single stroke, not a single word of this law will ever, ever go away. Jesus also said that. Uh, Jesus uh, re- re- referred to himself as the fulfillment of the law. Okay? The very law that Andy Stanley says we don't have to follow any longer. And when we go throughout the New Testament, whenever from the council of Jerusalem uh, in the book of Acts to many of Paul's epistles, whenever the questions arise, of how now shall we live, essentially, uh, we, are re- we are given basically the, uh, a summation of the moral commandments found where? Um, in the Ten Commandments. Okay? So, um, is, doesn't this prove yet again, there is nothing new under the sun, only new people who haven't heard it, and the fact that this is getting more brazen, and this is getting more out in the open, says what about where we are right now, Todd?
4: Well, and I, I got to say, I had the terrible answer in the last one. I mean, it was right, but Chris Pratt, that's who I want to see the host the Oscar. Oh, that would be a great to... Oscar host, yes. Uh, listen, yeah. I mean, in the beginning, he was with God, uh, and he was God. This is so it's so juvenile that it has to be, I mean, he basically there's 66 books in the
2: Bible and I'm confident at least 60 of them contradict what Andy Stanley is preaching. He's
4: just, he's clearly just a malevolent force. I mean, I just can't, I won't give him the benefit of the doubt. No, it's because
2: just, he's done. He this is the new Rob Bell. Yeah. See, what we didn't put in the story is this is not Andy Stanley's first brush with this. No. Okay, so just like with Rob Bell, you move the line a little yeah. bit, a little bit, a little bit. Did God and then, really say? And then yes, yeah. and then you build up a huge audience, right? One of the largest mega church multi campuses in Atlanta. Rob Bell's a national name. All right, and then once you build up the cult following, then Rob Bell says, you know, I'm going to go from asking questions to just saying they're is no hell and love wins. Same thing here with Andy Stanley. Just, I'm asking questions and now that I've built myself a cult of personality, the unitard and pitchfork comes out and oh by the way, God's law doesn't, no longer is no longer uh, relevant so uh, we don't have to obey God. Sh- you will
1: surely not die. And, yes. And
4: he has it exactly backwards. I mean, he, it's it was never just a list of rules to begin with and that is codified in Christ and that, that list of rules is enfleshed. It becomes part of us on a deep. Exactly right through the rebirth of uh, through the Holy Spirit. I mean, he gets this exactly. We desire to
2: follow God's commandments. We desire to live the way God created us to live because we are new creations in Christ. Yes, yes, Shannon.
5: Well, yeah, this was about one of the most boneheaded things I've ever read in my life. I've never even heard of Andy Stanley, but I read the piece. And, you know, you just go straight to the horse's mouth and the words of Christ, Matthew 517. Do not think I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them, right? And this is, so I, I agree with all of you. This is, this is absolutely ridiculous, but it is something that happens um, when you can prey upon a culture who is not rooted in biblical truths. And so this is why as part of my bottom up resistance that I talk about on my, my program a lot with a lot of my listeners, um, one of the things that I endeavored to do about five years ago is to read the Bible chronologically. And let me tell you, it's, it's really hard. And I struggled with it when I first tried. I actually first started reading the Bible chronologically. I did it with the children's Bible first with my kids. And you'd be amazed at how much easier it makes. Once you do that, it makes the real thing um at this point I'm 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 about 3 quarters away through my chronological reading I do Old Testament and New Test Nest Testament and when you read them together you really get the sense of how delicate the balance is yes. How, yes. how delicate be- the, between the law and grace It mm-hmm. balanced pin but it is when you read them together my my goodness it just the 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 divine nature of that book just just flows through but Christians are vulnerable when they are not rooted in biblical truth and when they're not reading their Bibles. And we have, and, and this is why you have charlatans. This is why you have false prophets. This is why our country is prey to them right now, because again, we're worshiping idols, cult of personalities and religious leaders, as opposed to the principles that were espoused in the Bible. So uh, the way to, to battle this really is to get in your Bibles. I know it's hard start with the children's Bible. It helps a lot.
2: <laughs> one, of the, one of the things, Aaron, I think is important here. Is if, if Andy Stanley has w- would have said Christians are not condemned by the law? There you go. Okay, yep. we're not Christians are not condemned See? by the law. The, so why this legalistic focus on yeah. the Ten Commandments at the expense of the Sermon on the Mount? Yeah. That's a valid valid conversation. But in, okay, but, but instead that's what's, not what he said.
1: Yeah, instead what is what is here's the great lie really of this heresy, and we don't have very much time yet. The, the great lie of this heresy is what is the point of Jesus? If those laws or the Ten Commandments are not still in effect,
2: and don't have to be obeyed, don't
1: have to be obeyed. Mm -hmm. I mean, Shannon just articulated that as as well. Praise the Lord that we have Jesus, because we cannot fulfill those. We cannot do those laws, those commandments perfectly. That's why we need Jesus. If those things are not still in effect, then Jesus, there's no point of Jesus. There's no point of his teachings. There's no point to the Sermon on the Mount. So it's just, it is a uh, double-mindedness. Jesus
2: only came to deliver the Sermon on the Mount, not to be your life coach, or any of the other things you read in the Gospels, but because we had broken and transgressed against God's law. The, that's not what Stanley said. He said you don't have to obey the law. That's what he said. That's there's your heretic right there. Exit question: Who's your favorite current heretic?
4: Well, heretic is a a very specific definition. How how churchy are you feeling, Steve? Or can I, I, I,
2: I, that's your it's your answer. You decide.
4: Well, because he so uh, beautifully epitomizes the age, I suppose, Donald Trump. <laughs>
2: I did not. That's an answer I was not expecting. Shannon, what do you think?
5: I don't think it can be Donald Trump because I don't necessarily know that he's a Christian. So I think you have to first be a Christian. I would say uh, Franklin Graham.
4: <laughs> Ooh. <Cool. laughs>
2: now, I don't think you can be a Christian and a heretic. By okay. definition, oh, yeah. you're one or the other, I would think. Okay.
5: Okay. All right. Maybe I don't get the word. <laughs>
2: All right. What I mean is false teacher and, <laughs> okay. and is an intentionally false teacher, Aaron. Who's your favorite?
1: Okay. Um, let's see just about anybody any um, uh, yeah any, any uh, nicer than God um, too smart by a half person on Twitter
4: Quish, uh, quickly prediction Todd go for this week uh, all the home teams win except for the Chargers Shannon quick go
5: uh, FIPA bill will pass and uh, go into effect
1: Aaron utility continues
4: my
2: prediction is Aaron's wearing that sweater on Monday after the Chiefs beat the Colts this weekend Shannon, good to see you again. Thanks for joining us this week. We appreciate it. We'll come back, and it is a Feedback Friday. We'll find out what you think about what we think next year on The Blaze. Stay tuned. We're back with hour two of the Steve Dace Show here, live and on demand on The Blaze. 888 900 3393 is the number, Steve at stevedace.com is the email address. You can like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. Um, this is something, you know, every now and then there's something that comes along that just makes you a better parent and at the same time can make you a better talk show host as well. We have had nuclear meltdowns here in our studios. Aaron, I can't hear. Something must be wrong. Aaron runs over here, checks all the plugs, everything plugs in, everything's fine. Um, it's because the uh the earpiece here. Yeah, it's uh it's clogged with uh our earwax. And then if you're a parent, you know, they tell you not to put the q-tip in there and scrub out the ears like your our mom and our moms did to us because it can ruin the eardrum or something. You know? So um, if this is an issue, if any of this sounds familiar to you, um, you could be like millions of Americans that eventually are forced to visit a doctor for a professional ear cleaning. And that's why you want to hear about WaxRx. It uses physician-developed technology that safely and effectively removes earwax buildup, then soothes the ear with a pH-conditioned formula. And now you can use WaxRx without a prescription. No more expensive trips to the doctor. No more wasted time using cotton swabs or other solutions that maybe don't solve the problem at all. Maybe actually make it worse. Try the WaxRx system risk-free today. Just go to usewaxrx.com and use the offer code radio at checkout for free shipping use waxrx.com finally a real solution for that stubborn earwax buildup it will make Aaron's life at least a little bit easier use waxrx.com use the offer code radio
1: it's a true story
2: no this i'm not making this up i don't we don't make anything up on the show i mean this is this has literally become a, a, a meltdowns and all we've all had this And then he came over and it was just, we had wax in our ears and it was clogging up the earpiece. It's our Houston.
4: We have a problem. Yes. Mm -hmm. All
2: right. Let's get to it. Today's truth bomb, completely contrived segment that uh, I created in order to justify uh, promoting my upcoming book. It's releasing on Tuesday. By the way, pre-sales now at Amazon.com. I bet if you ordered right now, you can make it that your copy arrives on Tuesday when the book hits bookshelves at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, across the country. Confronting the lies conservatives believe to our own demise, including endorsements by a few guys you may have heard of. Ben Shapiro, Glenn Beck, Mark Levin, uh, Dan Bongino, Matt Walsh, just to name a few. Truth Bombs, pre-sales right now, releasing on Tuesday. Today's truth bomb. So I wanted to point this out. This is, I am not here to argue the merits of using emergency uh, crisis funding to build Trump's wall. That's a separate argument. Although I, I don't understand why the same people, Pete Wainer here is a longtime Bush, Bushy who just can't believe he's all up in arms, that so-called constitutional conservatives are defending the notion Trump may use executive power to allocate funds towards a border wall um, via executive fiat. And he just, he just can't even. He just can't even. Here's the problem, though. Um, where, were, where were the Bushies of the world like Pete Weiner when constitutional conservatives... We're totally fine with no child left behind in the Bush years when they let that go. When they let Medicare Part D go, endless preemptive war, as in pointless, endless. When suddenly America's foreign policy became, uh, we are an evangelistic, progressive enterprise spreading democracy across the world. Where's that at in the Constitution? Pete Wainer, I don't, do you guys remember? Did you guys ever hear – you hear? well, Aaron's too young. Did you even hear the name Pete Weiner in 2004, 5, 6? Not that
4: far ago. I don't no. recall I did. No, I, I, I,
2: were there any breathless columns in the Wall Street Journal or the New York Times? Was he on CNN demanding um, fealty by the Republican administration to the Constitution? Do you recall any of those conversations?
1: Nah. Yeah, yeah. Did you get a reply from Peter, by the way? I did, I did not, well, no. There, there's your – yeah. There's your problem.
2: I mean, essentially what Pete is complaining about is that conservative conservative media is now doing for Trump what it used to do for his boy Bush back in the day where suddenly Medicare Part D was conservative and No Child Left Behind was conservative and massive growth in government was conservative and LB a replay of LBJ's Guns and Butter, uh, call, we just repackaged it as compassionate conservative. That that was considered conservatism. Endless, pointless war, preemptive wars, non-declared wars. We don't know what we're there for wars. Mall cop wars, spreading democracy all over the fruited plain of planet Earth wars are suddenly conservative. conservative and yet i don't recall uh noted constitutional defender pete Wayner when conservative media was doing this same shill job for his tribe i don't recall him rushing breathlessly to the pages of mainstream media and their broadcast
4: Todd, demanding conservatives return to their roots and defend the constitution against their own well you are effectively resetting uh, what we just talked about uh, in hour one about the poll and whether we're conservatives or you know who, like, this is, again, why I don't care. What, what is the definition? What are we standing for? We are remotely close to having an idea about that, a standard that we are willing to equally uh, apply. Um, our idols are just too big to have such a standard, and this is yet another example.
2: Pete Wayner doesn't care about the
4: Constitution. I've never met him. I don't have to know. You know a tree by its fruit. Like I don't I don't have to have planted a
2: tree to know that when the when it blossoms and apples form, I know did I have to be there at its planting? Did I have to follow its nurturing? When the when the, when it blossoms and the apples fall uh, or, or or come upon the leaves, what kind of tree is it? Apple. Because you know a tree by its what? Fruit. Fruit. So I don't know Pete Wayner. Don't have to ever have met Pete Wayner. I can just tell you right now, he's a hat. He's that. is he just mad that the machine that used to benefit his tribe no longer does and benefits another. That's why, you know, most of the time when you guys ask me all the time, uh, hey, what's your thoughts on this guy? What's your thoughts on this person? Do you think you need to differentiate from this guy and that? I'm not in your tribe. I'm not joining. Don't ask. It's not personal, except it kind of is. The answer to all your questions is no, no, and no, nope. Not playing any of your games. None of these people care. All they care about is themselves and that their own tribe is in power. That's all they care about. What you're watching with certain sectors of conservative media do for Donald Trump, it's exactly what they have been doing. Many of the same people trashing Romney now, told people like me when I wanted to when I was trying to defeat him in the last in his last presidential run in the primary i'm a, I'm an anti-Mormon bigot, terrible American. um and now suddenly everybody wants to tell the truth about Mitt Romney when I wasn't permitted to in not one but two presidential elections, because there was no reason to oppose Romney other than I disagree with his particular religious views. Now, suddenly all the reasons to oppose Romney are out in the open. Those reasons were there in two thousand and seven and eight and two thousand and eleven and twelve. They were all there then. The difference is it's convenient for us to tell the truth about Romney now, and it wasn't back then. That's all. That's just, this, none of this has changed. Trump didn't corrupt any of this. This is one of the lies I debunk in my book, Truth Bombs. That, that Trump did not corrupt the movement, guys. He took advantage of a movement that was already corrupted. That's all. He's just a different style. The cake hasn't changed. Only the zany flavor of the frosting has. But it's the same cake, the same cake that, that, that made guys like Pete, Pete Wayner and all the bushy people that put him in power for years, and we're all going to shill for the GOP. Rush Limbaugh is going to go on the air and put down Pat Buchanan when he wants to challenge George Herbert Walker Bush because we can't, we can't, we can't divide ourselves. we got to beat the Democrats. And now— 10 years or 15 years later or 20 years later here's Donald Trump saying almost the exact same stuff Pat Buchanan was saying in 1992 and Rush can't get enough
4: but Steve I think the it's game's a, never changed I think it's in the Bible that it's okay to tell the truth when it's convenient and I, that, I think isn't that it that? is
2: Pete is a hack that just can't take it that the same scam that made him and his particular tribe, once powerful and influential, has now been turned against him. That's Pete Wayner. He doesn't care about the Constitution. He cares about himself.
1: Yep, and we do this all the time, and this is not a a one-to-one analog, but uh, you know what Paul's talking to the Corinthians saying, uh, some of you say, I'm of Paul, and then another says, I'm of Apollos. Aren't you acting like worldly people right there? And yes, uh, Donald Trump and or George Bush are not akin to Paul and Apollos, that's not what I'm saying, but it's always when you're judging your motives or your actions or your words or beliefs based on whether or not somebody says something, some worldly person says something, you, that verse applies to you as well, and we've all done it to some degree before. Um, but that is that—that uh, that is what Peter is guilty of. That's what a lot of people, and that's that's that is at the core. That verse, what I just mentioned, that's at the core of our idolatry in this political system right now and it's what affects Peter weiner and what affects a lot of conservatives and a lot of Republicans because I'm of this guy, I'm of that guy, that's what is driving this country and really conservatives apart right now. Yes. Yep.
2: This is most of its tribalism. Most of your, too many of the questions are tribalism. Um, uh, most of these fights are fake. Most of these things I, I'm with people when I can use them. And then when they aren't useful to me anymore, they're gone. I, I'm the only way to win the game is not to play. And I've, I've, re- I am permanently retired from that game. All right. Uh, Pete Weiner is just mad that the game that, uh, that he won for a while, he's now lost. And the only way he can show get any relevancy uh, is to expose himself as a complete hack by using mainstream liberal media platforms to attack the very scam that he used to take advantage of. That's it. That's the point you guys made yesterday about Anna Navarro. Um, the reason she became so incensed at being told she's not. A, and go back and look at their response. She doesn't claim she's a conservative. I was a Republican. I was. A, that's not what you. That was not the point of the, the attack. You 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 defended yourself against an attack that wasn't the attack. He, called, he Cortez said you're not a conservative. You're the one that. Resp- I was a Republican. That's again. She responded with tribalism. I hate to go all Star Wars here, but your thoughts betray you there, Anna. The reality is Anna Navarro has only worked up because she, same reason, same thing with Jennifer Rubin. They're the same person. The only re, these are mediocre at best talents that have that if that if you take away their brand of anti-Trump can, Republican or conservative, then there's no more room at the end. All the people that are honest on the left about why they oppose Trump, all those spots on the roster are gone. Again, total hacks, absolute total and complete hacks.
4: Which is what both parties want.
2: Yes, in the end. That's the pro wrestling nature of it. Yes, I agree. All right, let's get to some feedback Friday. By the way, if you liked that, again, Truth Bombs comes out on Tuesday. Pre-order your copy now. That is but a taste of what's to come. Keep in mind, I wrote this book thinking it was possible. I may not have a show after it came out. So I'm like, you know what, man? I'm just going to put all down on paper everything I ever wanted to say. And that's kind of what this is. <laughs> it's just a it's just a rotating howitzer of of me getting some stuff off my chest. All right? So Truth Bombs Confronting the Lies Conservatives Believe to Our Own Demise bookstores on Tuesday. Pre-orders in amazon.com right now. All right, let's get to it. Feedback Friday, we respond to your responses to us. Steve at stevedace.com is the email address. You can like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. If you're listening live on Blaze Radio or later today on the podcast, you don't have that little screen uh, that tells you how to spell the last name, let me tell you. It's D as in David, E-A, and if you are listening today on the podcast, if you have time, if you like the show, leave us a five-star review, please. Those uh, help us to get and find more people just like you, which helps us to continue to get to do this when we continue to build our audience. Steve writes to me, I heard you say a few days ago that you supported Newt Gingrich in the 2012 presidential campaign. And I'm troubled by that, given his past adulteries. How did you reconcile that as a believer? And did you struggle with that decision? I am so glad I was asked this. So the answer to your question is yes. Um, and, and here's how um, I didn't reconcile it. It's not my responsibility to reconcile it. It's New Gingrich's. I didn't commit that sin. Who committed it? Newt. Who was running for president? Newt. Who was asking for my support? Newt. So therefore, whose responsibility is it to reconcile it? would be Newt. That would be Newt's. And if he doesn't, if if he cannot successfully reconcile it, then should I support him? No, I shouldn't. So how did he reconcile it for me? Let me give you a couple of examples. My last broadcast, right before Christmas, I've taken this, we've taken this annual Christmas break as a show. I originally did it when we were on local radio. Why? Because in radio, in terrestrial radio, there's two times of year that there aren't any ratings. August, sometime in August is one, and the other is the last two weeks of the year. So it was really convenient to take two weeks of off over Christmas. My family wanted me home anyway, and there's no radio ratings to worry about. Okay, so my last show of the year in 2011, before I went home for Christmas, before the caucuses, Newt Gingrich came into my studio by himself and we were a nighttime show. We had just relaunched after my non-compete. We had just relaunched with Salem. We were on uh, nine o'clock Eastern till midnight was the time slot Salem gave us. So here's Newt Gingrich, once a man, the third in line to the presidency, maybe the most powerful for a time period, the most powerful political elected official in America for a time. And here he comes trudging through the Iowa snow into my little studio where I did this nighttime show. And he comes in at 10 o'clock at night by himself, no handlers, no staff, literally drove himself to the studio. This is Newt freaking Gingrich. I mean, people wait in line to have him autograph, you know, one of the 79 books he's written. He drives in himself. I told him why I wanted him to come in. That if he wanted my support, if I, he wanted me to even consider it, there were some questions I needed to ask and they needed to be asked publicly. And he comes in. Um, and the head of the American, I, it's me. And I put the head of the American Family Association, uh, who, the, Don Wildman, the original founder of it, his son Tim is now in charge. Don was still, was still, in, was still running it at that time. Or maybe he was kind of professor, professor emeritus at that time. But Don had just announced his support for Newt Gingrich. So I put Don Wildman on the phone and, made, and had Newt Gingrich come into the studio. And I grilled both of them. I wanted evidence of life change. I interviewed another. I interviewed essentially the guy that was Newt's personal pastor. Jim Garlow is his name. He's in San Diego, California. And I mean, I, I, I put Newt on the spot. I mean, it was uncomfortable at times. I mean, this is a guy of, of immense gravitas. But you know what? It's, it's immense worldly gravitas. In this studio, it's a guy named Steve talking to a guy named Newt who both each one day will stand naked and alone before their creator, justifying their actions, which they can't justify, so they need a justifier. And he put forth a level of transparency and humility that is rare among any of the people I've ever talked to, interviewed, who have ever sought my support or input politically. And I would argue of all the people that have ever done it, he has the most... He would have the most impressive resume, the, the most reason to be uppity, the most reason to say this is beneath me. I don't have to do this. But he did it. And, and this wasn't the first time he did it. He did this in person. We had a dinner at, at, well, it used to be Damon's Sports Bar and Grill. I think those all went out of business. It's called, some, it was, it's called something else now. But we were sitting there, August of 2015, eating barbecue, me, A guy named Michael, who was Newt's assistant, and my wife, just the four of us, a summer day at a sports bar, Damon's Bar and Grill, and I grilled him similarly. So we did this privately several months later. We did this publicly over the airwaves, and I still wasn't even convinced I was even going to support anybody at all, actually. See, the, the point of the Christian life is not is not to live some, some pristine, antiseptic, morally uh, perfect notion uh, that shows you're better than everybody else. It is the recognition that you're not. The, you know, we make all these King David comparisons whenever our favorite politicians sin or our favorite leaders sin. But what we often forget is David, when confronted with his sin, David committed some heinous sins. He's an accomplice to murder. Um, I I mean, a a serial adulterer. An idolater of self. He took a census, essentially, counting his own own glory against God's direct commandment. Those are just a few examples. But when confronted with his sin, what did David always do? He always repented. And see, David became a man after God's own heart, not because he was perfect, but because he recognized that he was not. The grace of God covers all our sins, except the ones that we don't want to admit to, or that we don't ask forgiveness for, except for those ones. And so here is Newt Gingrich, with the, the biggest star running in that primary, the most impressive resume running in that primary, who lowered himself to the lowest standing possible to address the concerns of some dude in des moines iowa at 10 o'clock at night on his radio show when i can't get major politicians to come on here and ask about how they voted in the senate last week how they you know why they signed those bills see that's why trump's not king david where's there ever been any ounce of accountability remorse repentance ever
1: he told us that there never has been.
2: there never has been i don't have to ask for forgiveness So I could give you more, but I I, I don't want to make the whole feedback Friday about that. But that's the question is, are we willing to admit we're sinners? And then has there been a life change? Well, Stevie married the woman he committed adultery with. So did King David. And one of their sons was a guy named uh, uh, Solomon. Yeah. How many, how many Jews and Christians have been naming their kids Solomon for the last 2,000 years? By the way, he was also not perfect, a serial adulterer, uh, an idolater. And at the end of his life, he was building palaces larger for his pagan queens and mistresses than he had built for the Lord. But again, the hero of the story, who's the hero of the story? Is it Solomon? God. God's the hero. Who's the hero of the story? Is it David? God. God is the hero. We don't go to the church of David. We don't go to the church of Solomon. We don't go to the church of Paul. We don't go to the church of Peter. So that's the question. Are you willing to admit I'm not God? I'm accountable to God. I need God's forgiveness. Is there evidence in your life that change has taken place? I, you know, I, I can't speak for what you see politically from Newt Gingrich now. But, but I, I didn't make this decision now. I made this decision in 2011 and 12. And, and I, don't know, I, I don't know what the first evidence of a life change would be beyond a recognition that I needed to make a life change. And I'm opening myself up to transparent accountability for it. Let me throw one more thing in. I've often mentioned we, the historic election we had here, taking out the judges in Iowa. On the marriage ruling. The initial money that was raised to get us on the air, on television, to show everybody this was legit, not some ragtag group of conservative, zealous activists with no chance of being successful. You know what? We would have never, ever gotten to the point that my show or Bob Vanderplatz's organization and his work, if it weren't for the money Newt Gingrich helped us raise to take on those judges, this would have never been successful. It would have never happened. So now I wondered, of course, well, he just did that for political expediency, knowing he was going to run for president. So that's why he helped us out. And that was entirely possible. And that's exactly why I, I said, hey, come into my studio. Let's have this talk and let's have it out in the open. The same talk you and I've had privately. So that's some of the math that I worked through. And I knew I was going to get difficult questions. And that's another reason I wanted to do it. It gave me. I did interviews on MSNBC and other networks where I got to talk about real redemption and real grace and real forgiveness, not the Trump, not the Cheeto Jesus fraud that we see now, Um, not 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 the you know Trump could never do anything to embarrass the country, fake you know stuff we see now, not the not the Paula White stuff we see now, but the stuff that late one night, ten o'clock. On my little show, live from Des Moines on Salem Radio Network, Newt Gingrich came in and allowed some dude from Iowa named Steve to grill him about on national radio.
4: Yeah, these very conversations uh, between you and I uh, are the ones I remember most from our post, our pre um, employment relationship because I uh, supported uh, Santorum um, and. Gingrich's uh, previous infidelity was a, as much a reason uh, that I went in that direction. And, and by the and, way, didn't
2: hey, I say, I, yeah. I always told people, who committed those adulterers? Yeah. 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 Well, and so if that's your reason why I yeah. don't want to support him, whose fault is that?
4: Newts. Newts. Yeah. And, yeah. and that's the point I'm going to get to. So it, it was definitely a, a very... Large reason why uh, I I ultimately ended up uh, with Santorum, but those conversations Steve and I were having by d- 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 considering where we are now were they the calisthenics for being prepared for the age we live in now? Because we were having these conversations, not, not neither one of us were blaming the other for tribalism. We were like, as Steve likes to say, iron sharpening iron. We were trying to be honest as possible one another, and and, uh, finding out where the feet of clay were, uh, figuring out the closed hand versus the open hand philosophies, figuring out how we can be uh, making sure we can sleep at night, that we aren't deluding ourselves. Um, uh, So that, I I, I bring that up because to the point of the original question, uh, that it should, you said you were troubled by that. Uh, Not only should you not be troubled, you, you should take what you heard from just Steve and Find all the more reason to be a regular listener of our show. He did not come to that willy-nilly at all he was seeking not only seeking the count the, the version of newt but he was seeking out uh you know people like me friends i he had this conversation over again tr- trust me he opened himself up to every level of scrutiny required to make the decision he did which is why even though i went in a different direction i always found it to be a reasonable uh decision just like steve ended up saying uh, we're not going with trump we're never Trump. we're quite aggressively never trump but if you felt you had to go this reason? Hey, brother, I'm not going to hold it against you.
1: That's well said, Todd. And this is, this is what it looks like when um, – this is going to sound really, really condescending. Uh, but it's what it can look like when all of us, everybody who is in the political sphere, holds – has and holds their leaders or prospective leaders to a standard – that is not just the R after your name. That's what it looks like. Now, there are not different standards because of your different uh, areas of sin or different uh, ways that you've struggled or different things. There are not different standards. What we're looking for is is what is your character like? Because your character will tell you whether what you're saying now is what you're going to say and act upon later. Maybe when you're in office. This is the kind of these are the kind of conversations, and these are the kind of standards that we have to get back to expecting from everybody, everybody in Congress, everybody that we vote for. How can we do that? Well, you know, you got to do your homework as, as you know, first and foremost, um, but you know, when you have opportunities to ask these people tough questions, uh, take those opportunities. But again, this is what it looks like when people are held to standards to try to prove their character, and it is it is nothing but good things. And again, Newt Gingrich now I don't know, but at least back then the due diligence was done. There is truth in
2: in the excuses and rationalizations we throw out there all the time. Nobody's perfect. We're not electing a pastor. All those things are true. But but not but not in the way that they're often articulated. They're articulated as rationalizations, not realizations. Yes. Rationalizations and realizations are different. Okay. Rationalizations are when I excuse you from the things you did wrong that you won't admit you did wrong. Realizations come when we both admit and acknowledge both parties here someone did wrong and there needs to be some forgiveness and restitution for it. That's the part about the King David equation we often overlook. <laughs> We'll get back to Feedback Friday here in just a moment. But uh, first, uh, Aaron's got to pretend to promote iTarget Pro while he brags about what, what kind of a good shot he is.
1: Hey, what kind of a shot are you, Steve, by the way? Well, there's a... just... I'm
2: good at, I'm good at hey, Todd. House
1: of the Dead. Todd, how's it going? How's, how's, how good of a shot are you? Wisconsin. I'm better than you, yeah. No, <laughs> <laughs> this has gotten off to an. Exciting, I could beat you at Mario Kart. Exciting shot. Maybe one of the New Year's resolutions that I need to make is being less pretentious about how good I am. Says uh, the
2: guy in the uh, in the pro team Christmas sweater. Less pretentious. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. Maybe that's one. Maybe of the, a cardigan
2: next time, a right? A cardigan. Yeah, yeah, that's
1: a good idea. Or just you know show up as Casey Wolf, uh, the mascot. Um, Yeah, but every year, millions of Americans, including myself, you guys as well, too, make a lot of New Year's resolutions, whether it's to uh, earn more money, lose some more weight, uh, get a new job. All those things can improve your life, but only one New Year's resolution could help save it. Resolve this year to take your firearm training to the next level with iTarget Pro. Utilizing your smartphone, their proprietary app tracks a caliber-specific laser uh, which fits in your firearm and will detect exactly where your shots are landing. iTarget Pro is completely safe, comes with your caliber specific laser target system and instructions so you can begin training immediately. Take that uh, Christmas cash that you might have laying around and go to the letter iTargetPro.com. Check out the video, choose your caliber, and download the app so you're ready when the system arrives. And it literally takes about 10-15 minutes tops to get that up and running. This month, too, you get 10% off plus free shipping with the offer code Steve when you purchase the iTarget Pro system. Save money, save time, take your skill to the next level safely and effectively. That's the letter itargetpro.com, offer code Steve, itargetpro.com.
2: Let's get back to Feedback Friday, Steve at stevedace.com is the email address. You can like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Steve Day show. last name is spelled D-E-A-C-E, and this is from Phil. He says, I'm looking for some guidelines on how and when churches should get involved in politics. So many of our churches just don't want to be involved at all. It seems to me there's a ditch on both sides of the road. The one ditch is no involvement at all. The other is a denomination controlling the government. I don't think any of us wants to see that. I'm looking for resources to help churches think through this thoughtfully without going into either ditch. Do you know of any resources that elucidate how to navigate this issue and identify principles churches can follow? I do. Uh, One I would highly recommend, the Bible. (laughs) Now, I don't mean to be trite, Phil. I'm, I'm sorry. I, I know you're asking an earnest question. But one of the major interactions that takes place all throughout the scriptures is God and government. Um, God establishes Israel originally as a theocracy. What is a theocracy? It's a type of government. Government. And then, and then it devolves into a monarchy. A monarchy is a type of government. Government. In the New Testament, we see the Sanhedrin, which is an alliance. It essentially is two parties: uh, Sadducees and Pharisees. It's a two-party system that was given under the uh, the Roman the Roman. Government. government. It was given the authority to govern. govern some of the Jewish people's concerns. Paul, Paul, several times in his journeys, we are told about his interactions with the Roman government. government. Yeah. Other than that, though, it's not mentioned at all. Um there, there have been numerous books written about practical applications of this. I wrote one. But the truth of the matter is, this is all throughout the scriptures. All of it. It it, it this is this is not um th- this is not an area of a modern concern that didn't exist at the time the scriptures were written. And so, therefore, um, it requires a hermeneutical analysis. For example, meth didn't exist at the time of the scriptures. Where in the Bible does it say, don't do meth, guys? Where does it say that?
4: That and... uh... Armed home invasion, according to the y- Babylonian, nothing there either. Y-
2: yes. So, are we to therefore then assume, because the Bible doesn't say don't do meth, that that what? means we should do meth? Well, this requires now a hermeneutical analysis, right? And should we was, ask Andy although, Stanley about yes, this?
1: If it was in, <laughs> if, if, don't do ne- if, the, if don't do meth was in the Old Testament, then oh boy, oh, i get your game oh, on. Oh,
2: come on now. Now you guys are getting mean, and I like it. I gotta be honest. Okay,
4: I told the before I came on. I, I, I'm so glad for, for a second we can put aside uh, the Catholic demasery and just everybody in the pool. Come on, yes, the water's
2: fine. Yes, um, uh, this is this, this, this. So there are modern concerns that um, aren't specifically addressed at the time. Like voting is one. There's very limited examples of voting. One of the primary examples of voting in the scriptures is uh, just give us Barabbas. Not good. <laughs> All right. Not good. Not a good example. Okay? So that is that that requires some hermeneutical analysis. This is more of a modern concern. Okay? So and then and then and then the scriptures because of their divine inspirational origin even think so far ahead as to say, you know, when you do that hermeneutical analysis to your modern concern and you find that it's kind of a gray area, we should give each other what? Grace and room for individual conscience. It's literally thought of everything. There, there, we don't need to, to navigate or create these you know, modern understandings. Of, of what the relationship should be between the church as an entity and, and the political system, between what individual members of a church and the political system should be, we have these articulated throughout the scriptures. Here's the problem. The churches are not articulating this. And so what's happened in the last generation? What's happened in the last generation is the church has vacated this sphere. The abandon the counsel of God in these areas is maybe a better way of putting it. Nature abhors a vacuum, and so what came in to fulfill this this void are what are called parachurch organizations. You know them today as family policy councils, faith and freedom coalitions, et cetera, Christian coalitions. They've had other they've had other names in the past. That's kind of how you're. That's kind of what they're known as now. Some of them do very good work. I rent space from one that does. And it, how do you know that it does? Because I wouldn't rent space from them if they didn't. That's why. <laughs> okay? But there's plenty of them that have been completely and totally co-opted by the political system. And and they come out with their phony voter guides. So that, And they tell you every Republican votes like Jesus. And they don't. If they did... We'd have a lot less content on this show, or it'd be vastly different for that matter. Okay? So, and then, what, then what's happened is the generation that established these parachurch organizations, the D. James Kennedys, the Jerry Falwells, the Paul Wyricks, et cetera, passed on to glory. And now the next generation's come in your Ralph Reed types, your Jerry Falwell Jr. types. Or my buddy Bob Vander types. They're the new generation now that's taken over the mantle. And so what's happened now is the generation of people in the pulpit that are now you and I's generation that are now taking over are looking at what's largely become of many of these parachurch organizations, how they are nothing other than just shillithons for political parties. And you know what they're saying is, We just, there's no way to get involved in the process without getting dirty. So we're going to, the answer to the void created by vacating this council of God is now to create an even bigger void. And so here's what happens when we do that. Do most of the people that come to our churches, do they spend more time consuming the concerns of the culture politically and in the media or the word of God? Which do you think the answer is? It's almost always the former. And it's always been that way, by the way, guys. That's not new. Cable news is not new. Cable news didn't create this dynamic. It was it, it responded to the market saying, We want this content. In the old in in, in the times of, of in the time of the scriptures, people spent more time hanging out, settling disputes at the city gate. Then they did seeking out the local rabbinic so, scholar for, yep. for, 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 for this latest understanding of what the Psalms mean. It's
4: always been this way. So we're back to our previous analysis about Andy Stanley and Marcy. there's no, As you said, there's nothing, nothing new, new under, under the, sun. the sun. You have not been given a new riddle with this. You have got to understand that. This is you... what the Sermon on the Mount says. Yes. Hey, why do you think
2: Jesus keeps saying, you have heard it said, but I say? Because there were 400 years of silence. And in the 400 years of silence, what had happened is a lot of local rabbinic traditions, they couldn't centrally gather, and they weren't after the diaspora, a lot of Jews didn't return back home to Jerusalem, stayed in places like Alexandria, they were dispersed all over the world. And so a lot of these local rabbinic traditions, how many steps do I take on the Sabbath and I'm not working? If, 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 if three oxes fall in a hole compared to one and I save them, this is the lint and the navel stuff they were gathering together and, 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 and contemplating constantly. How
4: many angels dance on yes. the head of a pin? Does yes. any of
2: this sound familiar? Any of this sound familiar? Wall, wall, no wall. This kind of wall. Uh, uh, wall with oats. Hall and oats. The stuff we're debating all the time, does it really matter? All the (laughs) notes. Did you like that one? (laughs) So, again, nothing new under the sun. The Sermon on the Mount, this is the irony of Andy Stanley's heresy. The Sermon on the Mount is a clarification of the likes of Andy Stanley. Jesus is rebuking the likes of heretics like him. Teaching their own hollow and deceptive philosophies. Resetting the board. Because he's the word of God incarnate he has the power alone and authority alone to do the resetting cuz he said it to begin with so what's happening now is this new generation of pastors even ones that are really orthodox in what they teach they have come to the conclusion these are my peers now it's my generation now that's taking over the leadership now they have come i'm not talking about andy stanley's a heretic I'm talking about the people that are teaching orthodoxy that are of the same age. They are making the determination that there's no way to, to preach the counsel of God and apply it in this area without getting some of the world on us and without tainting ourselves. And no one wants to be the next Jerry Falwell Jr. Getting parodied on the Babylon Bee for reaching to touch the hem of Trump's garment. Nobody does, wants that. And so you know what they're saying altogether? I'm just, I'm not doing this at all. But here's the problem. That's a false choice because the reality is there's nowhere, no way to confront sin in any arena without getting some of the world on you. How dirty did God have to get his hands to join us? He had to go to the bathroom like we do. Then he had to clean himself up afterwards like we do.
4: And then there's that whole dying part.
2: Yes. Imagine, imagine, imagine you don't want to listen to the guy in the stall next to you at a public restroom. The God of the universe left heaven and paradise to do what you do in that stall for you. Think about that. Think, think about the lengths and depths God went to to get his hands dirty in order to clean yours. This is all false choices. And so what happens now is now that we can't get our really good, respected Bible teachers to address these areas, the Ralph Reeds and Jerry Falwell Jr. types, their power and authority and influence is not diminishing what's happening.
1: It's growing. Robert Jeffress just called to tell us that the border wall is moral because there's going to be a wall around heaven too.
2: Yes. It's growing. Paula White. Her influence is greater now than when she was just divorcing a husband every month on TBN 10 years ago. Her influence has grown, Pastor, because of the void you've left. So all of these questions and all of these debates, they're all false choices. Preach the word of God in season and out of season. How will they hear the word if there is no one to preach it to them? Do, as the great prophet Bill Belichick likes to say, do your job. Do your job. And you know what happens when the church, when we do our job? What do you think? Do you think when, when people really see God's word does not return void, so when they really see the real thing in action, they tend to want the real thing. We have taken all of the false political charlatans that use Jesus's name for their own political gain. And by vacating this sphere, they now have even more power and influence. I remember watching Robert Jeffress walk up and down a hall by himself at National Religious Broadcaster six years ago. No one talked to him. I walked by him several times and was introduced to him. Nobody cared. He was a joke. Now he's essentially a Protestant pope. How did that happen? I don't know. I'm not going to name any names because I'll name some names of good Bible teachers. There's no point in naming names because, like, all of them are guilty of this to some extent. And so since they have remained silent, Robert Jeffress went from a guy walking up and down the the hallways of the Gaylord Hotel in Nashville, Tennessee, with nobody talking to him. To now, now he's a force of nature. Paula White was a completely discredited charlatan. Now she's the president's, the spiritual counselor of the most powerful man in the world. Why? Because you didn't do your job. Why? You know what question I've gotten more than any other in my career? Do you know what it is? Steve, why don't I hear stuff like what you talk about on your show at church? Ouch. I have gotten that question more than any other. So congratulations, Robert Jeffress, Jerry Falwell Jr., Paula White. They should be sending most of America's pastors of orthodoxy cookie bouquets, roses. Hell, you ought to get a commission check. You ought to be getting some residuals off this son of a gun. Because you're as responsible for the for for the prominence these hacks and charlatans and fakes and frauds have as anybody else. They couldn't have done it without you, muy bien. The enemy is happy when we decide that area is too hot. Oh, you know what? We can't we can't can't we can't address that without any blowback or getting any of it on us. And you know who applauds? The enemy in your ear saying, "You know what? You're right." You're right. And those people probably aren't good enough for you to lower yourself to address anyway. Stay in your bubble. Talk about the love of Jesus being a good neighbor. You're right. Stay right there. Meanwhile, when you turn around, he's like, he blows the whistle. All right, guys, it's safe to come out. It's all, coast is clear. So if you want to know who's responsible for the rise of all these people, We should look in the same place OJ needs to look for the real killers. The mirror. Final thoughts, gentlemen.
4: Uh, that was outstanding, and uh, to connect what's going on uh, with uh, the, the cake shop and the Knights of Columbus, while you've been apologizing or trying to triangulate whether Christianity should be in the public square or how it should sound, now the questions that are being asked, somebody put it perfectly on Twitter. We're not arguing that anymore. It's we're arguing whether Christians should be in a public square, and we did that to ourselves.
1: Yeah, I think the answer to the question, um, the best way to be involved for a church is maybe at this point to not be.
2: Have a great weekend. See you on Monday, John 317. This is Steve Dace.
5: On the Blaze Radio Network.